Well, I'll give you all a little uh, background on who I am and why I came to write this uh, piece, Suddenly Where Ubiquitous. Um, I'm an information architect, is the job title, I guess, here at Razor Fish in New York. I've been here about seven years and um, doing similar work for the last decade or so and doing a lot of thinking about what we do online, even as I kind of help you know build websites and use social media a lot. I'm a pretty heavy user, user of it and um, design experiences that have people exposing themselves one way or another online, potentially. But um, I would go back as far as the 90s, really, to even uh, think about why when I started becoming interesting in this uh, subject. And there was a, a topic that was circulated a lot at the time, um, ubiquitous computing. And um, at that time, this was the idea that I think we almost take for granted now that in the, in the very near future, there are going to be computers everywhere. Because we had, we had big desktop computers then, and in the early 90s, we had bag phones and whatnot. And as the decades started to go on, we started getting more and more mobile phones. Uh, we started getting laptops instead of big, ugly desktops. And we started thinking about how computers could appear pretty much everywhere. Um, in fact, another term uh, that came ar up around that time uh, was the idea of the Internet of Things. Some of you may have heard that term, the, the Internet of Things. Uh, Kevin Ashton wrote about that in 1999. And his idea was that computing was getting so cheap that you could pretty much have computers everywhere, right? Everything could be a computer. It could be uh, your, your laptop, sure, but it could also be your phone, as we have now. But it could also be your refrigerator. If your refrigerator gets low on milk, it could call the store to say, hey, I need milk. Uh, and now we know, you know, we see this everywhere. We have wristbands that tell us how far we've run, how many calories we've burned, and stuff like that. But the idea is it pertains to this... Uh, essay is that we have computers everywhere and as we began to have more and more mobile devices, you remember back in the 90s if you were around then, uh, that uh, people started to get mobile phones and I remember somebody saying, oh I, I doubt everybody's going to have a mobile phone, they're just too expensive and I thought, sure we will. And then in a matter of years um, you have everybody has a mobile phone, in fact some people have more than one mobile phone and um, I think the number of mobile phones in the world is set to exceed the world's population very soon. Pretty bizarre statistic. But um, with all of these mobile phones comes a camera, right? It didn't at first, but very quickly it got a camera. And so at any given time, you might have a mobile phone with a camera, you might have a small you know, pocket camera with you. I know I have at least two cameras on me at all times, and so do a lot of other people. So there's this idea that you've got a lot of uh, mobile devices now, first of all, and uh, they have a camera. Then secondly, you have this idea that everybody's getting online and they're using social media in different ways. So, you know, first it was MySpace and then everybody abandoned that for Facebook. But not only Facebook, which has, by the way, more photos on it than Flickr and many other sites like that. And, you know, tens of thousands of photos getting uploaded every minute. In addition to... Facebook, you have Instagram, you have Twitter, you have all these other sites where people are madly uploading photos all the time of you and me and other people. People whether you know them or not because you're in the background and that's kind of the point I make in my piece. Um, so you have the rise of these social networks. Uh, they are also demonstrably now loading all kinds of images onto the internet. And then at the same time you have the ongoing evolution of facial recognition. Um, 
Now, even now, uh, facial recognition might sound a little bit futuristic, but it's really not. Uh, if you saw a movie like Minority Report where Tom Cruise is walking around and the advertisements recognize him and they say, I, I don't know, hi, Tom, it's time for you to come back to you know, Banana Republic something, I don't know. Um, that kind of technology already exists and it's out there. It's being used in a lot of different ways. And uh, there are even some similar things online where you can upload a photo and it will find other versions of that photo for you. And there are a lot of instances where the police are using photo recognition. Um, in the Super Bowl I mentioned in 2001, even before 9-11, they were scanning the crowd using photo recognition to see if they could discover you know, criminals, I guess, ostensibly, or um, terrorists. And since then, there are lots of other examples. There were communities in England in the 90s that had cameras that were recognizing people on the street. Uh, at uh, the Boston Marathon bombing, there was a lot of talk about, do we use photo recognition to find the guys that did this? And that wasn't terribly successful. Um, <clears throat> but the technology is out there, and it's getting used more and more all the time. A couple of other examples I've seen just this week. Uh, the idea that um, there are high-end stores that are buying this software so that they can recognize people who come to the store, especially if it's some sort of celebrity. So a celebrity comes into your store, you don't recognize it's such and such a person from, say, the office or whatever, but now your camera in your store does recognize that person and it says, hey, so-and-so's in your store, you better be careful to give her particular attention, make her feel at home, etc., etc., this is happening right now. This software is being distributed right now. People are paying for it. And another one I saw just this morning, you may have heard it on NPR too, is the idea that very soon uh, you'll be able to buy things uh, in a store with just walking up to the register and the, a camera seeing your face. So your face becomes a credit card. It's instantly recognizable. And we're, we're certain it's you. So you can buy that object in the store. Uh, if you're in line at the airport and you're running late, a camera from many feet away can recognize your face and check you in because the algorithm says that this is you. Um, this is technology, again, that exists right now. And so, uh, it, you know, how, how comfortable do people feel with it, we, we don't know yet. But this is the kind of thing that's going to be rolling out in the very immediate future. And the way this uh, photo recognition works is basically it scans a number of points on your face, and it's just like a fingerprint or an iris scan. Um, it can maintain with a very, very high degree of certainty that that is definitely you, because although I might look like a few other people, for better or worse, uh, there is only one me, and there's only one person that looks exactly like me, just like a fingerprint. So they have this technology that recognizes people. Um, you can recognize now a fingerprint from six feet away, and it can do an IR scan from about the same distance away. So a face, a whole face is much easier. And um, anyway, what got me thinking is if you take these three things, the, the ubiquity of cell phones and uh, cameras, secondly, the um, rise of social networking, and thirdly, the uh, facial recognition, then there's some big things that could happen in the immediate future to us uh, based on this facial recognition. And the idea is that uh, because our photos are being taken all the time, uh, we're not aware of it anymore. And when we're, I'm walking around, I, work, I, I walk outside Times Square. That's why I use that as an example in my essay. And when I walk through there, there are tens of thousands of students, uh, students, students uh, tourists taking photos all the time. And um, I could be in any one of those. I could be in dozens of them. I could be in hundreds of them. 
And so although you think you have an idea of how many photos of you are available online, you might say, oh, yeah, well, there's a few hundred on Facebook of me, but nobody sees those except my friends, uh, or there's a few I put on Twitter or whatever. The fact is that I don't think any single person really knows how many photos of them are on the Internet and where those photos were taken, I should point out as well. Um, so this, if you were to couple this idea that there are tens of thousands, perhaps, I'm just totally guessing, of photos out there of you, and if you were to couple that with some sort of uh, photo recognition software, which, as I said, already exists, if you were to make that available on the Internet, theoretically, you could upload a photo and then say, find me every instance of this photo on the Internet, and then, lo and behold, somebody would have access to thousands, perhaps, of images of you that even you didn't know existed. Um, I've seen some demonstrations of similar things like this when I was at South by Southwest this year, uh, there was uh, Professor Alessandro Acquisti. Uh, try Googling him, if you like, and looking at some of the stuff he talks about. He also showed how if you take one picture of a person, you can likely figure out their identity very quickly because you can scan that picture, match it against another picture online, and all you need is one picture with a name, and then you know that person's identity. So if you take a screen capture of me right now, uh, from the Skype session and upload it, you would be able to find out I'm Robert Stribley. And then he showed how within a very short matter of time, if he got the name, he could get a good part of their social security number. And then from there, it was very easy to perhaps find even more about their identity and in fact, steal their identity if he wanted to. And he, he, he bet a lot of uh, students at uh, Carnegie Mellon that he could figure out their identity based on taking a picture of them. And he was able to do it. So... That's kind of the, the crux of the matter for me is, you know, what happens at this moment when we suddenly go online and, and there's a website, and even if it's illegal here, let's say it's illegal in the United States to do this, we decide we don't want to do that. So some guy in another country uh, where it's not illegal creates a website and he says, go ahead and upload a photo here and, um, and I'll show you every picture of that person online, or enter a name and I'll show you every picture of that person. What does that mean for us? And uh, a lot of us might feel like, oh, it, it's no big deal. I kind of live an open life. Um, I don't have a problem. Yeah, there might be an occasional photo of me picking my nose or something like that. I, I can't help that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of other potentially, uh, potentially devastating for some people situations. Uh, it's funny that Anthony Weiner is back in the news again today. Uh, he's one good example. Apparently there are some more texts that were discovered of his and pictures online. Um, but uh, that, that's a worst-case scenario. But there's, there's other things that you can imagine where perhaps somebody comes from a country that's not friendly to your way of belief and you do something in another country like drinking alcohol, uh, go back to your home country and you know, you're in trouble for drinking alcohol. Or uh, you're gay and your family is not friendly towards that and uh, someone finds a picture of you in a gay bar could just be drinking a cocktail, and that's enough. Um, no one in the family is talking to you anymore. So these are, might sound like worst-case scenarios, but um, they're, they're just some of many potential things that, that could happen in the, the near future as these images of us arise online that we're not even aware of right now. So, you know, some reactions to that. Um, what kind of society are we creating, and, and what do we do in response um, I think one of the points that I make in my article is that we kind of have Big Brother now, or we're very close to it, without having like a necessarily a fascist government to step on our necks and tell us uh, you you have to submit to this. Um, you know, all 
discussion of the NSA and other things like that going on right now as well, uh, we've kind of submitted to this uh, willingly because um, we've gotten on Facebook or Twitter or Flickr and we've uploaded these images and we've uh, been in many photographs and um, we've gotten a little bit of something in in return. We've we've made a transaction to where I, I'll give up this image or I'll give up you know my name on Facebook or I'll like this company on Facebook and um, you know, a lot of times we don't realize that that company, when we like it on Facebook, now has all of my information, all of my likes, all of my, you know, maybe they don't have your complete portfolio of information depending on the arrangement, but a lot of the time when you like these things on Facebook, that's, that's basically what you're doing is you're surrendering a lot of your privacy. And the same with these images and whatnot as, as well. We've kind of gradually got accustomed to the idea that, well, we're going to be online, and so I'm giving up a little bit here, but I'm getting something back in return. But at what point does that really reach uh, a tipping point into something very different? Um, one of the things I didn't include in my essay, but I did add uh, a link to the idea of it today uh, at the very end, is the idea of the uh, panopticon. And this was a, an idea by Jeremy Bentham in uh, the late uh, 18th century. The panopticon was this idea that you could create this building, um, kind of like a jail, in which everybody could live in this uh, building or jail, and there would be somebody watching them at all time. And the way it was um, built, well, uh, you'd be able to see every room in this building at once from one place. And you wouldn't know if somebody was watching you or not, but you'd have to assume that somebody was watching you all the time. Very fascinating idea. And I wouldn't be the first person to point out that the Internet has become our panopticon. And I think this idea of all these images of us being online at any given moment uh, being taken, it, it kind of plays right into that idea of the panopticon as well. That Does this affect our behavior? Uh, maybe it does for the better. Maybe it means that we're more likely to behave in public uh, because of for fear of being captured on, on uh, video or as well, let's not forget video, uh, or a photo being taken of us or, what, or not. So, you know, arguably this idea of a, a god of the internet kind of watching us all the time may have some pluses to it. Um, but, uh, you know, as you can imagine, there might be some minuses as well. So that's the kind of environment potentially we're looking at. Um, who knows where we go from here if we dial it back, if we decide that, uh, you know, there's certain things we don't want to do, if, if there are certain things like wearing Google Glass that uh, make people uncomfortable, how do we handle that when you're wearing Google Glass and you could be taking a photo at any moment? Um, you know, maybe we have to change some protocols, some things might become impolite that aren't considered impolite right now, or we might just decide to hell with it, you know, we're, we're going to, it's worth it, uh, we're going to put ourselves out there, and the, the, the one plus side is that it's a level playing field, so if I make an ass of myself, then the next person is just as likely to make an ass of myself. Who knows, who knows where this is going to go, right? Um, but that's, that's the potential, and I think that's kind of the cusp of, um, of where we're at right now. Yeah, I think the question was how, how much more cautious are people likely to be? Is that right, given this scenario? I think, yeah, yeah. I think um, the interesting thing is we've seen both. Uh, we've seen people become more engaged with the Internet and kind of like, you know, I, I give up. I'm just going to put myself out there. There are some people, for example, and I, I won't better remember the guy's name, who's very famous for having been profiled because of his uh, identity. I don't remember, honestly, if he was Indian or Middle Eastern or something like that. But he was born and raised in the United States, and he began to be profiled after 9-11. 
by uh, the authorities, and his response was not to go and hide. His response was to put everything online. So he's very famous for having a website where every single thing he eats there's a photo of, every you know place he checks in on Foursquare is on there, and every bathroom he uses, he takes a photo of it and he puts the bathroom <laughs> photo online. And his idea is the opposite extreme of, I'm going to drown them out with so much information that the signal-to-noise ratio is going to be so much noise that this information is going to be worthless to them. And so that's kind of his art experiment, and also he speaks a lot in public about privacy as well. Uh, sorry, I can't remember his name. The opposite extreme is for us to think of technologies which allow us to communicate and, um, you know, well, I guess it doesn't entail going offline entirely, have a little bit more privacy. And I think that's why some of you, I'm sure, are familiar with things like Snapchat, where instead of putting a photo out there forever, uh, maybe this is what Anthony Weiner should have used, is a device where you can talk to other people and that, that communication, you know, for all intents and purposes, is gone in a matter of seconds or uh, deleted, and you can tell if someone takes a screenshot of it or something like that. Now, that still leaves the ability, though, for people to have that information. So, yeah, it's possible at some point we may have people that just decide, hey, I'm better off living my life offline. But I suspect the opposite. I suspect that people will become, will have a higher tolerance and a greater degree of self-awareness. And that's why I, I, I don't want to sound the portentous with the, with the God metaphor, but I think there's a, a little bit of truth to that, uh, that we'll start feeling like we're being watched and uh, behave differently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. No, that, that's that's a really good point. So, the, it's Warhol's 15 minutes of fame, I guess, isn't it? Now, everybody gets uh, 15 minutes of fame now every day uh, because of this, and maybe that's why we're so eager to jump feet first into it, is because it does get us some exposure to some degree that we want. But I would argue that uh, if you dial it back 20, 30 years, that the celebrities did not get this level of exposure either because not everybody had a camera, you know, 30, 40 years ago and not everybody had a camera with them everywhere they went. Um, and even then, you depended on going and buying a magazine or something like that. So things, maybe you got in People magazine a couple of weeks after the fact or a week after. Now we're talking about every second. Someone can tweet something in a second and in 30 seconds, it could be retweeted a thousand times if it's that inflammatory. So I think you're right in principle, but I just think it's an order of magnitude greater. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's just the ubiquity of it. Even with those celebrities, there, there are likely photos of them that, that they didn't know existed too that will come to light just, just by uh, way of searching on these images and, and other material like voice uh, recordings as well, for example. Good thought, though. Um, only a, a very little. It's funny, I, I don't know how many of you saw that very strange story this week about Brian Cranston going to Comic-Con and wearing a, a mask of himself from Breaking Bad. And so everybody thought he was the guy from Breaking Bad, the, the character, Heisenberg. And in fact, it was him wearing a mask of Heisenberg. And so... That kind of weird thing, yeah, is that going to happen in the future where we'll create masks or have plastic surgery to rewrite our past? Uh, it's possible, I suppose, but I, I think the problem is you leave a trail, and if you change... The, the Internet is great at creating connections, so no matter how radically I change my 
appearance. If you look at a young Michael Jackson and an older Michael Jackson, if you search, you're going to get both of those images, aren't you? So as soon as you establish the connection, the connection is always there. So you only need one photo of you after plastic surgery, and now cat's out of the bag. Sorry. <laughs> it 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 seems possible. I, I don't know the answer to that question 100%, but it does seem possible. Would there be mistakes like this This is your brother and a uh, case of mistaken identity? My understanding is it's not likely that there would be mistakes of identity because they, they measure enough points on your face that it makes it highly unlikely that it would be anybody else. But, but it's a really good point. If, if there's a picture of my brother, who sometimes people mistake to be my twin, uh, would that be enough to say, this person is probably related to me? I, I, I think you're probably right, which is also kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting point. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. That, that was a lot of fun. I'm sorry I couldn't see you, but you sound like a good group. It was uh, real interesting talking to you. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Bye.